On this episode, I welcome Zoe Jewell and Sky Alibi from WildTrack. Thank you so much for being here today. Can you both introduce yourself, tell us what you do and where you are located? Well, thank you so much, Kate. We're really excited to be able to talk to you. We've seen your other interviews and they're wonderful and we're honored that you've invited us. Um, we are based in um, North Carolina. Um, I'm Zoe. This is Sky. Sky. We work together and we're co-founders of Wild Track. Um, and we are dedicated to protecting endangered species around the world. Um, we do it a little differently. We do conservation from the ground up. We start looking for signs on the ground and then we gradually build up um, using a combination of modern technology and ancient indigenous knowledge. So it's kind of unusual, um, like tracking skills. Um, and as I said, we're based in North Carolina, but our work is all over the world. We have more than 30 um, research project partners around the world um, on all five continents. Wow, I know all the work you do for animals, but when did you all first get into conservation? Well, I started, I, I was driven into conservation or got interested in conservation at about your age. I was brought up in a country called Uganda, which is in East Africa. And I was watching a program on television, which is fronted by Sir David Attenborough. Now, this goes back about 50 years, no more than that, 60 years, okay? He was running a program called ZooQuest. And on one of the programs, he was showing the Komodo dragon. Now, I was your age, and I saw these reptiles, and I just couldn't believe it. That these animals existed today, you know, that they're actually alive today. And that, in a way, planted a seed in my head. So I started, my interest in conservation started there. And I guess I was, I was a little bit younger. I remember I was about five, maybe uh, four or five, when I um, went to visit my grandfather one day and he was a furrier in London. He used to make fur coats. This is going back some time. He used to go to Russia and, and, and buy skins from animals that had been trapped for fur coats. And I remember he picked me up and put me on a big pile of snow leopard skins and I didn't know what they were. And I, I felt these skins and thought, oh, this is, what are they? They're beautiful, they're so soft. And he told me that they were snow leopards. And I remember being horrified by this, being shocked that somebody could turn an animal into a skin. Um, and I think that was kind of what set it off in my mind, thinking this can't be right, you know? I mean, in those days, there were probably a lot of snow leopards, but now we, you know, we all know that's not a good thing to do. But that was kind of where I became engaged. And like Sky, then I was hooked on David Attenborough from an early age. And, um, you know, he's responsible for a lot of what we do in, a, in all the best ways. Wow. And Zoe, I think your story is really relatable because I found that kids, once they figure out the problems that are happening in Africa and that, you know, in 10 years we won't have any elephants, it really puts them into action. So that's really cool. Okay, so what drives you both to wake up every single day to try to save species from extinction? Well, you know, I think that um, species have become extinct about up to 10,000 times background rates. So, you know, that's like one of the biggest challenges that humanity faces. So if that's not a good reason for getting out of bed in the morning, I don't know what is. Um, and, and you know, you know, climate change, pollution, um, destruction of habitat, illegal poaching, all these things are like crowding in on the remaining wild animals on the planet. 
Um, and so the, the sort of declining biodiversity is something that is, you know, it's so interconnected with everything else that's going wrong on the planet that we feel focusing on those endangered species, it's like the tip of the iceberg. If we can protect them, then other things are gonna come right and we'll get, get the planet into a healthier state. No, nothing more to add to that, really. I mean, as Zoe's pointed out, you know, we're facing mass extinction and our generation has made a real mess of it. And I'm the first one to admit it. And if we can actually even contribute a tiny bit towards ensuring that this wonderful, unique, uh, biodiversity that we have doesn't go, doesn't disappear. You know, we've sent out probes into outer space. We've landed on Mars. And you know, in all these explorations, we haven't come across a single incident of the existence of life outside this planet. And the uniqueness of this is not something which, which we should be celebrating, we should be protecting. So that's what gets me out of bed every morning. And I think sometimes, you know, we feel it's almost like an overwhelming challenge. There's so much to do and there's so little time to do it in. But we're lucky to have a wonderful group of um, partners and supporters in our work um, from um, governments, um, Microsoft, Jump Software, Skydio, Sensefly, um, the wonderful people that we work with in the Wild Track Specialist Group. I mean, I think together when you're working in a group, you know, sometimes people can have a down day where they think, oh, this is just too much. And then somebody will kind of help um, pull them up and say, we can do it together. So I feel it's very much a community um, kind of um, challenge. And, and, you know, to see somebody like you and your generation leading your generation and trying to kind of get this moving a bit quicker is really, really encouraging for us as well. Definitely. I mean, if kids and teens take action now, we can save our planet. So it's really important to unlock their, their animal loving and turn that into advocacy. Exactly. Okay, so tell us about FIT. What does FIT stand for and where does this idea generate? We call it FIT, but you can, you can call it FIT. FIT stands for Footprint Identification Technology. And essentially what we do is we take images of footprints of animals which are endangered, of endangered species, to enable us to identify individuals, to identify species, to identify sex, and sometimes even we can tell the age from look just by looking at measurements from footprints. So FIT developed from the knowledge that we have gleaned from indigenous trackers. Now, in ancient times, these trackers used footprint identification because their survival depended on it. They would track the animals and they knew which animal they were tracking. So what we are trying to do is to emulate that, but using the technology that we have at hand. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I think what you're doing at WildTrack is so cool in that you can identify and learn so much about animals just from a footprint. I think that's really, really cool. It's so inspiring that you guys do that. And so, and how do you work with indigenous people around the world? Well, we have almost all the projects we work with around the world, the different species projects, um, whether they're in Africa or Asia or South America, they rely on knowledge from indigenous communities, from local people to give them an idea of where the animals are, what signs the animals leave behind, um, what time of year they can be found, how they could be um, tracked. 
Um, this is kind of like community knowledge by us as biologists. I mean, it's not something that comes naturally to us. We have to go and work with those indigenous people to get that information. Um, and it's really critical. I think the sad thing is that a lot of these indigenous skills, as we call them, um, are disappearing because um, young people all around the world tend to move into cities and they have, you know, regular kind of jobs and they, they consider the sort of um, natural um, communication with nature as being maybe not so, you know, not, not so good for getting a job or something like that. So the, the ancient tracking skills are being lost. Um, and we hope that by engaging trackers um, and, and, and learning from them, as well as helping them to use our technology, we'll be able to revive those skills and bring them into conservation so they can be really useful for, um, for protecting endangered species. You know, if I can just add to that, Kate, if we do not involve, if we don't get local communities involved in conservation efforts, chances are that these conservation efforts will fail. You need to make sure that the local communities, their livelihoods depend on the environment that they live in. If you can bring them on board, and particularly by using their skills, you know, you're onto a winner. Mm. You know, you're sort of almost halfway there. Yeah. So bringing in these indigenous communities and making them feel involved, I think is quite fundamental to developing any conservation strategy. I agree. And this is what they're actually doing in Africa, because there are kids living in Africa that have never actually seen the wildlife. And they're starting to take them in and showing them the wildlife and teaching them that you don't want to kill these animals because that's how, what they've grown up thinking. So. It's really great to educate the community around it. And once you do, they'll definitely take action to save them. And we learn so much from them as well at the same time. It's kind of a win-win. <laughs> yes. Okay. So this FIT technology is non-invasive. What, what does this mean and why is this method so important? So I guess, you know, to backtrack, step back a little bit, track back a little bit, um, we spent many years working in, in Africa um, with black rhino, and one of our jobs was to um, help um, track rhino that have had radio collars put on them um, to try and protect them. Um, and, and after about 10 years of collecting data, we realized that constantly immobilizing the females was actually causing a reduction in their fertility. It was causing them to lose their calves or maybe not even have calves. Um, so we figured, well, this can't be good. We're trying to protect these um, endangered animals. Um, and after we published our data, other scientists started showing other negative effects from constant immobilization. And we thought, well, perhaps we could try and, um, and follow them and monitor them and protect them without having to handle them or disturb them. Um, and we actually learned about footprints from the trackers that we were working with. And they, when we used to lift up our radio antenna, they would kind of laugh at us and say, oh, you don't need to do that. That's no use. You can just look at the ground. So we started thinking about that and, 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 and we kind of developed this um, technique, this footprint identification technology, which can actually tell us so much about an animal just from its footprint. Um, and that way you don't need to actually um, capture or disturb or fit any instruments to the animal. It can go about living its natural life um, and you can get data um, from the ground without disturbing them. So, you know, we feel that the future of conservation monitoring is in non-invasive technology. Um, technology is getting so cool now. There are lots of other cool technologies we can use like um, camera traps, environmental DNA, 
and uh, kind of acoustics and drones and, and footprints. You know, there's, a, there's like a whole toolbox now of cool stuff um, that we can use to figure out where these animals are, what they're doing and, and protect them effectively without having to disturb them. And also, if I can just add to that, Kate, you know, when you basically, when you disturb these animals by putting radio collars on them or in other ways, you're changing their ecology and their behavior. So in other words, you're now not beginning to study what's more natural mm. about those animals. You've influenced their behavior. Or you so may have, it, it you depends. May have been, yeah. It depends, it depends yeah. on how much disturbance you yeah. cause. So the, the, the less disturbance, and lots of research now has shown that even minute forms of disturbance mm. can affect these animals. Yeah. So what we need to do is to concentrate on, concentrate on developing and, and, and honing our techniques which are to do with non-invasive monitoring. Wow, I think it's so cool that you guys do non-invasive work. It's so inspiring because, and it's so cool to think that you can find so much about an animal just by its footprint. And okay, so I love the scenarios that you have on your website and I want Club 15 viewers to take a part in these scenarios with you. Okay, so I wanna do a few. So let's pretend that we're a game driver in Africa and we have a crash of endangered black rhinos to protect from poachers. How does FIT technology help us do our job? Okay, so we have a bunch of rhinos. We know that they're on our land, but we don't really know where they are. We have an anti-poaching unit um, of, of um, uh, men or women, sometimes both, um, who are armed and ready to take out poachers, um, but they don't know where to go. They don't know where the poachers are coming in. Poachers normally come in at night, um, so they're very hard to see. Um, it's dangerous work. They've got to carry guns, you know, and they might, and they might be shot at. Um, so how do we try and figure out where these rhinos are more effectively so that we can give that data to the anti-poaching unit, they can go to the right place. Um, so again, you know, um, having knowledge of footprints, being able to give the anti-poaching unit cameras or phones, they can go out and pick up footprint, footprints every day. Those footprints can come back and we can say, okay, here's the map of the reserve. Here's where the rhinos are going. This is where they, they were yesterday. And this is where they probably will be tomorrow. And this is where they were a week ago. And we can begin to build up a picture of how they use their environment. Um, so they can be more effectively protected by the anti-poaching units. Okay, so now let's switch gears. And now can you tell us about your citizen science project called Conservation FIT and how can kids and teens get involved? So yeah, mm -hmm. Conservation FIT is um, basically WildTrack citizen science project. So it's basically a way for us to reach out to anybody who's interested in conservation say you guys can help us um, you don't have to be professional conservation biologists um, and we would love to get more involved with kids and teens we haven't done a lot of work um, with younger people at the moment but we think they would be perfectly positioned to help um, so i guess what what conservation fit does is it, it allows us to show people how to collect footprint data and how to send it to us um, but more than that, um, I think it helps people learn to be wildlife detectives. So in a way, you can think of footprints on the ground or some of the other animal signs we see as being like um, uh, clues to what the animals are doing in the landscape, right? You can read them. It's like decoding all the evidence that's on the ground. Um, and so I think there are two things here. One is that 
but using citizen scientists, they can help us collect data. And the other side is that they can learn to become conservationists themselves, right? It's not like just here, take this paper form and fill it in and submit it. It's like a process that you get out there and you really start learning about animals by observation, not just by being told by somebody, right? I think this is really cool because I remember I was in Africa and I saw pangolin tracks and even we never saw the penguin but just seeing the tracks is still so cool so i think for kids and teens to be getting involved with this project is so cool being able to find tracks and send them into you i think that would be really fun so okay so now i love cheetahs so i'm very concerned that there are only seven thousand left in the wild so can you tell us about your work with cheetahs in namibia and what you're learning Yes, it's it's a sad situation, isn't it? That we've only got 7,000. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but you know, about 100 years ago, we had, most likely, we had over 100,000 cheetahs, you know? So when you consider, consider it in those terms, you realize how much the population is declined by. And these cheetahs do roam over vast distances. And in Namibia, you've got farmers well, once again, it's a sort of a, a human-animal conflict situation where the farmers are trying to protect their livestock and the cheetahs sometimes become problem animals. And once again, how do, I, how, do you, how do you identify which cheetah is a culprit? I shouldn't say culprit, which cheetah is responsible for taking, taking the, um, the, the livestock and, and, and also feeding this information to the farmers. And the funny thing that's happened is that once you identify the cheetah and you talk to the farmers about it, the farmers begin to think that that cheetah is theirs. It belongs to them. And don't you dare touch it. <laughs> you know, if you develop that type of a relationship, you respect the fact that these animals have to exist. And every once in a while, you're going to suffer a loss. But the plus side is that you allow this magnificent species to exist, their numbers to increase. So what we're trying to do is basically identify cheetahs from their footprints, feed this information back to the farmers so they can actually develop a proper strategy which allows those cheetahs to exist and they can protect their livestock better. Definitely. Okay, so now can you tell us about your drone partners and how these drones are saving wildlife? Um, well, this is wonderful technology. Um, now, imagine the scenario until recently where we were either walking or going by truck to collect footprints, right? We would either track the animal or we would drive around looking for footprints. Now, if we can make that, that process much more efficient, we can cover much, much bigger areas. And this is where drone technology comes in. And we're working with two groups um, of drone manufacturers, Skydio and Sensefly. They both produce very, very good drones, which are ideal for the sort of work that we want to do. So essentially what we want to do, what we are trying to do, is fly these drones at a certain altitude, which enables us to pick up rhino tracks. So you look at a trail, you look at this track of, of rhino footprints, all right? And essentially, if you can actually identify, hey, that's a rhino trail. That's not a zebra trail. That's not a giraffe trail. It's a rhino trail. You can home in down and get those images. 
So the drone technology is actually going to prove to be very, very useful. We're already doing it. We're in the phase where we are testing ways in which we can deploy quadcopters and fixed-wing drones in the most effective way to collect the sort of information that we need to basically feed into our FIT system. Yes, drones are definitely very inefficient way to find tracks and identify animals because they can see so much land at a time. So I can totally imagine that that's really helpful. Exactly. That's right. And the exciting, I guess the exciting bit to add on to that is that we're now starting to use AI, artificial intelligence, um, to see if, the, um, if we can train computers to identify those signs automatically. Because drones collect like bucket loads of data, like tons and tons of data, and it takes a long time to sift through it all. But if you can have a computer algorithm that'll do that for you and say, yep, here's the map, there are the rhinos, um, and perhaps even map the rhino you know, community. This rhino's here and that rhino's there, and they visited this tree together, and all that information is out there, right? It's just, just a matter of finding a way of processing it quickly. So AI could be very helpful for that. Okay, so this is my last question. Do you think my generation can help save wildlife in wild spaces? What needs to happen to prepare kids my age in terms of our education, our experiences, and our hands-on experiences with technology? Well, yes, I mean, absolutely. Um, your generation is perhaps our only hope, the last hope, because as you said, we don't have a lot of time. Um, and by the time you know, you're know a, a working adult, we might well have run out of time. So your generation is probably you know, one of our biggest hopes um, and I think kids have a lot of influence on their parents. So things that your generation learns, you can actually help improve, you know, your parents' generation and their attitudes. Um, I think that, um, you know, everybody can do small things to improve our global environment, like reducing our use of plastics and, and having a plant-based diet and lobbying and making our voices heard. And, you know, maybe kids that live in Africa can persuade their parents, hey, it's not a great idea to poach rhinos. Or kids in China can say it's not a good idea to use rhino products. And, you know, the modern world is changing, right? the way it was 50 years ago when their parents were growing up, it's very different now. So they can say things are changing. Um, let's, let's look on, the, um, on, on a new world order. But I think the other thing is that we can set up um, you know, educational programs to kind of um, convey this and really, really kind of you know, make it a little bit more of a formal experience. You know, that's, that's what I would really like to see happen, is that conservation issues, biodiversity, environment, become part of the regular curriculum. Yeah. In as much as you learn about math and you learn about chemistry and you know about physics and so on and so forth, we should introduce within the curriculum a section on the environment and biodiversity and conservation. You know, don't you think that would be a great idea? So that kids begin to learn proper things about, about the uniqueness of biodiversity which we are destroying at such a tremendous rate. So I think, I think your generation, there's a great hope there that by educating them, making sure they get introduced to conservation issues, biodiversity issues, environmental issues at a young age, they begin to take that on board and that will basically stay in their minds in whatever profession they go into so that they will be knowledgeable and they will make sure that action is taken when needed to protect biodiversity and make sure that this wonderful, wonderful planet that we exist in doesn't go under.
So perhaps, you know, in a very small way, we hope that going out, looking for footprints, decoding signs in nature might be a great place to start, um, to get kids out into nature and say, wow, look what we found. They share pictures online. They kind of help each other decode these it, and they can use their devices. They don't even have right. to be thrown away. Can, they don't even, have to be taken away from their devices. You can even have an app. Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting. You know, we're excited about what the future holds, um, and particularly with people like you um, really I trying to rally it. the younger generation. So keep it up. It's yeah, very important. I think for the younger generation to see somebody like you, yeah. you know, putting forward these ideas about conservation and biodiversity and so on, I think it's excellent. I totally agree. And I believe that all kids are born with a natural love for animals. And once they learn about animals and how they're becoming extinct, they'll totally take action to save them. And we can turn that love into animals, into advocacy. But thank you guys for being here today. It was so great learning about Wild Track and all the amazing things you're doing for animals. It was our pleasure. Thank okay. you so much thank for inviting us. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. And before we sign off, where can kids and teens go to learn more about Wild Track? Well, I think we're, we're inspired by all that you've said to maybe set up a special page on our website for um, kids and teens. At the moment, our, our website, wildtrack.org, has lots of information about what we do. But I think we're going to work to put on a special page um, that you can um, represent kids and teens and have your very own place on our site. Oh, wow. That is perfect. Okay, we'll link to your website here. Thank you so much for being here today. Let's go! La, 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 la.